Hello and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast. How are you doing? It feels like a while since we've been together and it has for the reason that I have had tonsillitis and haven't been able to talk properly for the last couple of weeks. So unless you wanted just to hear me gruff away on the podcast, then um, it was better that I waited a little bit just to come back and give you the purest tone that I can. So yes, today's going to be very interesting. We're going to be looking back on some classic movies. Um, today's about all about the classics. I've been watching a lot of films while I've been laid up um, and I'd like to talk to you about some of them. We have one review of a new movie which is coming up soon and movie news of course and a very special guest for films I love most. So that's all that's coming up on today's podcast. Welcome back. It's movie news. Yes, there's lots to talk about today. Mostly to do with remakes and reboots. That's going to be the topic of movie news today because there has been some sort of undercurrent talk about a reboot of The Matrix, which is an interesting concept, seeing the last couple of Matrix movies did not go down as well as the original. Um, I have recently re-watched The Matrix trilogy. Love the first one. Quite like the second one. The third one just baffles me completely. I have no idea what's going on. Um, the speech from the architect at the end of Matrix Reloaded. Um, I've seen that film probably about five or six times in my lifetime. I still haven't got a clue what he's talking about any of you that have watched the matrix movies will know that they just gradually get more and more complicated um but yeah apparently there is a fourth one um they have said that it's neither a reboot a remake or a continuation so i absolutely have no idea where they're going to go with that then um and yeah the matrix what do you think about that do you would you like to see the matrix back would you like to see uh, Keanu Reeves back as Neo. I mean, you know, he's doing pretty successfully with um, the uh, John Wick films. So would he want to come back and do The Matrix? Not sure. There are talks going on at the moment that it's a possibility that Michael B. Jordan might be set to replace um, Keanu Reeves in The Matrix movies. So that could be interesting. I'm not sure where they would go with that. Um, but yeah, Stay tuned for news on the reboot of The Matrix. It should be interesting. Other reboots and remakes that are possibly coming up in the next couple of years. Weird Science, a remake of Weird Science. Um, if any of you remember that film from the 80s, um, it's about two guys that make their perfect woman using technology and science. I mean, it's a little bit of an outdated storyline there. I think it's a little bit um, misogynistic. But then again, you know, they could update it. Could be two women who make the perfect man. I mean, I'll be up for that. Um, the Neverending Story has been announced as being remade. The Birds, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Short Circuit, Flight of the Navigator. Are you getting, you know, the the theme here? It's pretty much every movie that we loved as kids from the sort of early 90s 
that are being remade. Police Academy, uh, Firestarter, Sister Act, White Men Can't Jump. I mean, all these films are on the list to get remade. Um, is there a film that you would like to see get the Hollywood, you know, makeover? Any film that you loved as a kid? I'm trying to think of one. I mean, they're making the Netflix series of The Dark Crystal, which is a film that I always loved as a child. Um, I'd quite like to see Big Trouble in Little China get some sort of um, remake or, you know, reboot or continuation. That'd be quite fun. But yeah, let me know if there is a film that you would like to see get polished and rebooted for the 21st century. I mean, you know, there's a lot to choose from. Let me know. Are any of you going to Fright Fest this year? I am. So, you know, if you see me, come and say hello. It would be nice to talk to you. I'm going on the Sunday only. So, you know, the day of rest. And why not spend it in a dark room watching diabolical things happening? Um, there's a lot of interesting films on this year. Um, if you're going for the whole weekend, then you're going to um, have a good time. There's some really good stuff coming up. Um, and also some classics that are being um, shown in the Discovery screens um, for you to take in. So have a look online at frightfest.co.uk and have a look at that, some of those upcoming films that you might be interested in. What am I going to be looking forward to? Well, on the first night of, uh, on the Thursday, they're going to be sharing uh, scary stories to tell in the dark which is Guillaume del Toro's um, producing it, and of it, it looks amazing. I've seen the trailer. It looks great. Um, yes, there's another film, which I've actually already seen, which I'm going to be reviewing for you very, very shortly. So, um, yeah, we're going to be having a look at some of the films that are going to be released uh, for Fright Fest. Obviously, they'll be re-released again to the general public soon um film i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to actually to seeing master of dark shadows which is a documentary about the tv show dark shadows which i am very much into it's my bag i do love that um they big finish have released uh continuing audio stories of dark shadows which i am a avid listener to so dark shadows was started off as a soap opera in america in the 60s and spawned two feature-length movies. Um, vampires, werewolves, ghosts, you name it, Dark Shadows did it. But, um, yeah, there's quite a lot. I'm looking forward to Tales of the Lodge. Uh, the remake of Rabid, the David Cronenberg film, is being shown um, at Fright Fest. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things. So um, obviously the podcast after Fright Fest, I'm going to be reviewing a lot of horror movies. So if you're not a horror fan, don't skip the episode because I won't be just talking about horror movies, but I will be talking about some of the dastardly dark treats that will be given to us at Fright Fest. <laughs> Yes, so I'm going to be reviewing some classic movies in this uh, episode of film review because I've been watching a lot of films the last couple of days, having been um, unable to talk or move or, you know, anything since I've been a bit poorly. But um, first one I'm going to talk about is American Werewolf in London. Now, I did 
rewatched this recently and I love it. It's such a good film. It's so British that it hurts, actually. <laughs> you know, the scenes around Piccadilly Circus, I walk that way to work every single day and it's so strange to see it in its sort of early 80s setting and, you know, seeing the werewolf run around that that area and you know it's just such an interesting thing to see it's almost like a like a different world really but um yeah the film uh directed by John Landis who is probably um more known for his comedies in the late 80s like Animal House um the Blues Brothers um directed American Werewolf in London as a labor of love really he'd been wanting to make the film for about 20 years and finally he did and thank goodness he did because it's just a fantastic movie uh, everyone will know the classic scene in the slaughtered lamb on the moors of uh, of um, Wales but um, you know where they where the two American students walk in and the whole pub just goes quiet and everyone turns and looks at them um, it's it's just classic every shot in that film is to me just perfect Um and, you know, a lot of British actors as well. You just look. I mean, Rick Mayle was in it. Like, there's the scene in the pub. If you look closely, you'll see Rick Mayle as pretty much an extra in the movie, which is, um, you know, great. Jenny Agatha, who's probably known now for Call the Midwife. She plays the main girl in the film and she's incredible. And it's a little bit, you know, strange to see her so young and so, you know, quite sexual in that part. So it's a bit strange to see her like that now I've I mean I grew up with her watching um the railway children and then later on she was in spooks so I've always seen her as like either very young or very you know sort of a dominant character like in spooks um but to see her in American Werewolf in London playing a very quite you know feisty nurse is quite interesting um yeah and I just love it I I, I think you can hear a from my descriptions that this film is completely um you know a love relationship with, with for me because it's just an incredible film if you haven't seen american werewolf in london and you you know be brave watch it because it's very funny i mean it bridges that gap between horror and comedy very very well and you know it's thoroughly enjoyable and there's some classic scenes there is a lot of gore in it so if you don't like that sort of thing be careful because it is a little bit gory but absolute classic i give american werewolf in london 10 out of 10 because it's fantastic really is a good film next up for review is the terminator and terminator 2 now the reason why i'm reviewing these films is because i have recently just watched them and also we have terminator dark fate coming up very soon which brings back arnold schwarzenegger and linda hamilton as sarah connor the first time she has reprised the role since terminator 2 there is also talks of Edward Furlong coming back to play John Connor. Um, again, he didn't play the role, hasn't played the role since um, Terminator 2. So that's going to be very, very interesting to see those characters back on the big screen. Also, James Cameron is coming back to produce Dark Fate, the creator of the Terminator franchise. So that's quite uh, interesting to see him take a break from Avatar to direct or produce a new Terminator film. He had quite a input into the script as well so um it's a direct continuation from um terminator 2 so terminator salvation and terminator genesis 
are being put into that black hole where a lot of other films have been put recently, like literally Halloween 2 up to Halloween 7, I think, went into the black hole too, where they just didn't exist. James Cameron has said that Terminator 3, Salvation and Genesis happened in an alternative universe. So yeah, if you're a fan of those films, sorry, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> so yeah, Dark Fate comes out. So Terminator 1 is just a classic. I mean, it's so dark. It's film noir. It's violent. It's gritty. It's um, very stark. You watch it now, it is dated a little bit because the effects are, you know, quite dated, more physical effects, which, if, you know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that I am a massive fan of, of practical effects. I do not like CGI very much. Um, and it's it looks great. I mean, it is slightly dated, like I said, but it still stands up really well. It's pacey. It's a chase movie. Um, it's tech noir. It's just um, it's just gripping. It's just very exciting. I can imagine seeing that for the first time in the eighties, like nineteen eighty four. You wouldn't have seen anything like that before. And the storyline is so clever and so intricate and so, you know, twisty and turny, timey wimey to use a a common Doctor Who um, phrase, but it just stands up really well. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is terrifying in that film. It really is the unstoppable force coming towards you. No matter what you do, you can't escape. And the last sort of 10 minutes are like a tour de force of um, visual effects that were available around in the 80s. So, yeah, fantastic. Terminator 2... I mean, it's a better film because it's obviously got a bigger budget. Um, risks were being taken with the stunts and the special effects. Um, there were some things in that film that have never been seen before at the time. Um, and it sort of rejuvenated the, the blockbuster, so to speak. You know, like this was the film to go and see in 1991 when it came out. My brother used to watch it on repeat we used to watch it all the time when we were kids it's one of my childhood movies it's almost ingrained into my dna terminator 2 it's such a clever film what i love about it is what they do with the character of sarah connor they take her from this innocent sort of wallflower in the first film and turn her into a powerful violent soldier in the second you know like she's she has a mission and she's gonna sort of go through with it no matter what and um, again, you know, with The Terminator, with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first one, an unstoppable force, and in the second one, a protector. And it's just very good how they have twist those roles around. There is a lot more comedy in Terminator 2 as well, which I really like. And I like the relationship between the Terminator and John Connor. It almost becomes like a father and son relationship, which is really, really cute to watch. Um, I give Terminator 1 9 out of 10 because it does look a little bit dated now. I give Terminator 2 10 out of 10, because it is um, the film that defined a generation of filmgoers and audience members. So Dark Fate is coming out on the 1st of November. Of course, I will be reviewing it on the day, because I'm very excited about it. So check back with me in November, and we will talk about Terminator Dark Fate. I'll be back. Soon you'll see. 
I'll carry my pistol and a large Uzi. I'll be back to save Sarah Connor from a machine who really wants to wrong her. Machines rise, humans fall. Do Terminators have balls? Some will talk. Some will say, I bet it's Trump and Boris Johnson who bring on Judgment Day. Da 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 Hello. So now, the moment you've been waiting for, we're going to be reviewing Cruel. Yes, Cruel, as in crawling along the floor to try and get out of the movie theatre away from this film. No, I'm not being biased. Sorry. Sorry, you know. Um, I will give my honest review. I will try and uh, try and do this in a, in a, a way that you'll um, appreciate. So, Cruel... Um, is not out for a couple of weeks, but I was lucky enough to go to an advanced screening. <clears throat> I say lucky enough. Um, yes. Um, so the premise of Cruel is that a storm has hit Florida and a girl, she's um, a swimmer. Her sister calls her and says that they haven't heard from their dad for a little while and they think that it might be in trouble and with the storm about to hit they just want to check that he's okay so one of the sisters Haley, goes to check and make sure that her dad who's played by barry pepper is alive so she goes to his house and finds him unconscious in the cellar but he's um badly injured and as the uh, flood waters start to rise you suddenly begin to realize there is something stalking the main characters and the stalker is in fact an alligator yeah an alligator so and not just one either quite a few alligators join after a while there is a moment in the beginning of the film which sort of hints to what's going to happen because as the as um Haley's character is driving down the road you see a sign for an alligator farm and you just think oh well there you go then I mean show don't tell in its purest form um it's uh, I mean it's such a strange film because I can see what it's trying to do it's you know got that sort of exciting like monster movie feel to it you know where um, the monster is stalking its victims and the victims are trying to find ways to survive um the alligators look awful i think that's probably my main gripe about the film they re they really look cgi and tacky and just not very well done at all uh the film is produced by sam raimi who a lot of you will know um directed and created the evil dead franchise and also directed the Spider-Man films of the 90, late 90s and early 2000s. Um, yeah, I'm not quite... I can see his influences on the film. There's a few um, point-of-view tracking shots which are have been ripped straight from the Evil Dead movies. Uh, there's a sort of a dark undertone which I can definitely feel was um, influenced by Raimi's filmmaking. Um, and it is directed by Alexandra Aja, who, um, yes, I mean, directed 
um, The Hills of Eyes, Mirrors, Piranha 3D, um, you know, not exactly the best sort of um, CV there of movies, but, you know, they'll do. Here's a clip. exciting yes are there parts of the film where you are like willing the characters to succeed yes and at one point I was just willing for them to be munched because I was just getting a bit frustrated with the whole storyline the first 15-20 minutes are as dull as dishwater there is pretty much nothing going on the main character she is trying to find her father she's crawling through us through like the cellar it is just a little bit boring if I'm honest and when the action finally kicks in there are some really exciting moments but it's not Jaws you know it's there's not really much tension built up Uh, by the end I really couldn't care less whether the character survived or not which is not really a good sort of reflection of the film Um, you know the film has had a really good marketing campaign I think a lot of people are um you know, excited for it. I know that basically the critics have praised it quite a bit, saying it's sort of satisfying and a lot of fun, which, you know, it it's a lot of fun. I think that the performances are not very, you know, well realised. I think the script is poor, like very poor. There are, it's almost like a series of um, sort of lines that they want put on T-shirts you know, it's the script has no substance, really, which is a shame because I think it could have been really good. I think it could have been like the jaws of the alligator, you know, world. But it's just not. It's just very disappointing to me. If you like a good alligator, if you're like if you're a fan of films like Lake Placid, things like that, you're going to love it because there is a lot of animal, you know, action. But for me... Not my cup of tea, sorry. So I'm giving Crawl 4 out of 10. Because there are some moments which, you know, I found interesting. Others, I just, it just did not float my boat. Nightmare. So I'm now going to pass you over to Keith from the past to tell you all about what is going on at this year's London Film and Comic Con. Yes, thank you, future Keith. I am here at Comic Con, London Film and Comic Con at Olympia. I'm having a really good day so far. Had a good look around. There's lots and lots of merchandise here. Um, I literally would buy everything if I could, but you know, my bank account says no. Um, you know, Aquaman is here. Jason himself is walking around. I've seen him. He looks incredible. Um, and 
yeah, I think it's more Star Wars orientated this year. There's a lot of film stars from the Star Wars movies, including including uh, Billy D. Williams, Lando Carizian himself. You can't get anywhere near him at the moment. It's very very busy, obviously, with him um, being in the next Star Wars film in December. A lot of people are wanting to get his autograph and to meet him. So there's a lot of cosplay also going on. There's a lot of people dressed up in lots of different characters and uh, it's amazing. I'm looking at a E.T. photo opportunity right now. I'm not sure if I could um, get my leg over onto the bike, but if I can, I'll post a picture on Instagram. Yes, so um, it's been amazing. I've, meet, I've met a lot of uh, stars from TV shows that I enjoy, like Doctor Who. I've met Sylvester McCoy. I've met Sophie Aldred, Jessica Martin, Andrew Cartmel all my uh, favourites, the creative team from my era of Doctor Who, so that was amazing. And yeah, I'm now going to have a mosey around, going to have a quick photograph with uh, Sophie and Sylvester later, because like I said, they are my TARDIS team. And yeah, anything else I will find out, future Keith will inform you. Have a good day guys, see you later. Back to the studio. Don't forget this podcast is nothing without you. So please get in contact with me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter with your film reviews, with your recommendations, anything you have to say about the world of cinema. Please let me know because, you know, I'm very interested to hear from you and any questions, any comments, just send them to me, guys. Now it's time to introduce the lovely, lovely Isabella with her film I love most. Hi Keith. The film I love most is Blue Velvet. Um, I'm not really sure why. I think it's just something about the whole aesthetic and I think the use of music as well in the film itself. Like, for me, the opening shot with all the suburban houses with Blue Velvet in the background, and then when you hear the song again, um, it's when Isabella Rossellini's character is singing in the club, and there's just something very immersive about it. You feel very much put in that whole world, and uh, it's something that will leave you thinking. Like, when I first watched it, I watched it in segments. I watched it over three days um, and I found myself returning to to thinking about it in the day and sort of where's it gonna go yeah I found it sort of yeah the storyline it just came out of nowhere really and I don't know another film like it bye now as you know I have an absolute love affair with David Lynch he is one of my favorite all-time film makers producers writers creative um he's just completely um gripped me over the years with his filmmaking not only his films but also his tv show twin peaks which to me is almost a religion um and i absolutely adore it um i actually have a twin peaks tattoo don't tell my mother um, but Blue Velvet is one of my favourite David Lynch movies. It's, like Isabel said, it's it's beautiful. It's an absolute beautiful film. Um, it's dark. 
It's moody. It's got Dennis Hopper probably giving his best performance in any film. I even prefer him in this to Easy Rider. Um, And Kyle MacLachlan just playing um, the innocent being corrupted in the film. It's an absolute masterpiece. The visuals, the colours, the soundtrack is key to the storytelling and it's perfect it's all these elements just come together and make a perfect perfect film it's got so much to say but says it in such an artistic way that it's very difficult not to fall in love with this film um i have it in the david lynch collection but you can watch it i believe on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch Blue Velvet. Um it's it's you know, I'm being very generous with my um with the ratings this week, but Blue Velvet 10 out of 10. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. If you are a lover of film, then I would say Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me and Mulholland Drive are films of Lynch's that you must must see if you haven't watched these films you cannot call yourself a film lover um and also the elephant man of course which is another one of his absolute classics so yeah blue velvet thank you very much isabella and get in touch if you want to be on the podcast telling me what film you love most Film found for a pound. We've had some interesting ones this week. Yeah, a lot of you have been out looking for your uh, your bargain movies. We've had... Let me just get the list up of what people have sent me this week. Moon, Fargo, Blade Runner. Blade Runner is becoming a very popular one. Watchmen, the director's cut. Um, now, okay, I love Watchmen, the movie, but the director's cut. My word, you have to dedicate a whole day to watch that film. It's so long. Uh, da Vinci Code. Uh, okay. Not many, like, newer films this week. Uh, Ready Player One, that's another classic. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's a very, very popular one. A lot of you are finding that film for a pound because it's an absolute masterpiece. Wes Anderson. Yeah, so um, out of all the film founds for a pound this week, I have chosen Hedwig and the Angry Inch um, because it's one of my favourite musicals anyway. Uh, But the film is a film that I first watched back in 2003. I was living abroad at the time. And um, the film is so quotable that the more people I showed the film to, um, the more sort of um, community it built between us because we would just quote the film all the time and try and, you know, reenact some of the scenes from the film. Um, So, yeah, and we all knew the song. So it was almost like... When we were on the bus to work, it was a bit of a Hedwig and the Angry Inch sing-along. If you've not seen it, it's basically about a young boy from Germany who falls in love with a soldier. And the soldier forces him to have um, a sex realignment. But it goes wrong. And instead of that, the poor boy is just left with... An angry inch. Now you can obviously imagine what that implies. Um, and from then on, the young lad decides to go on and 
try and build a career as a musician and creates a band called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And it's all about the trials and tribulations, the poverty, the success or lack of that the band sort of gain. And it's just a really good character study. The music is amazing. It's such a good soundtrack. I'm very surprised that this has never come to the UK in musical form because I think it would be very, very popular. Um, in the days now of things like RuPaul, I think Hedwig has gathered a new sort of uh, following and cult status. And it's just a lot of fun. You'll be singing the songs, tapping your feet to them for hours and hours after you've seen the movie. There is a really, really good Blu-ray edition out at the moment. I think it came out quite recently. Uh, Criterion have released it. It's a little bit expensive, um, but the extras on it are fantastic. I actually have that collection, but I know for a fact that someone found it for a pound on DVD uh, recently. So well done if you did that, because that is a find and a half. So Hedwig and the Angry Inch is our film found for a pound this week. And I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 because it is an absolute cult classic. God, it's been so good to be back. I've missed you all, but that is all we have time for today. Please don't forget to get in contact with us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter with any suggestions or comments you have on films that you've seen recently. And we will be back very shortly with another episode of Films I Love Most. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,